If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, give you an idea of what's been going on. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being all in. And we talked about wanting to follow the Lord as he leads us into the promised land. As we were in Joshua chapter 3, and we looked at Joshua, and as we looked at Joshua, we, we talked about how the Lord needs to be in the primary position right? The position of leadership and headship, the one that was going to lead us into the promised land. And then last week, Buddy preached, and he preached a phenomenal message on what it means to be all in and to not have excuses, that the Lord has called each one of us to fulfill a ministry, to fulfill a goal. And oftentimes, listen, those times when God calls, there's all kinds of excuses we can throw out, right? Like, God, there's got to be somebody better. Or God, are you sure you got the right person? I mean, like, I I don't speak very well. There's got to be somebody who's going to do a better job than me. And the reality is that the Lord takes those who are unqualified and he qualifies those he's called. He's given you every ounce of everything you need in order to be able to go where he has called you to go in order to do what he's called you to do. So it's this idea of living with no excuses. And then today we're gonna be talking about having family priorities, right? So we're gonna talk about issues within the family, but I also want you to think about it this way, right? When we talk about this idea of family, we are a church family. We are a church body. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We follow the headship and the leadership of Jesus, who is our, 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 our King, our Lord. And the Father is sitting on the throne, and Jesus is at the right hand, and His Spirit is leading us. And so we are a family. And as we move forward, we want to follow in obedience. So if you have your Bibles, First Samuel chapter 8, and you have to forgive me, I'm getting over COVID wasn't, uh, let me clarify this. COVID wasn't fun, right? But it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Like massive headache, but now I got this issue with congestion that I just can't seem to get rid of. So anyways, hopefully I don't lose my voice. First Samuel chapter eight, starting in verse one. And I wanna give you a heads up about what's going on. So the people of Israel have been led into the promised land, right? And here comes Samuel. Samuel is, is born to Elkanah and, and, and Hannah, and as they, as they go in, Hannah was barren. She'd prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and she said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, then I will commit him into your service, that when I have him, I will give him back to you. And I believe that that should be the, the cry of every parent, right? That, that when I have a child, Lord, that they are yours. Like I am committing them to you that they're, they're going to follow you, they're going to serve you, they're going to learn what it means to be obedient no matter the cost. And here is Samuel. Samuel grows up in the priestly home of Levi, or sorry, Levi, sorry, Eli, all right? And, and as he grows up under Eli, Eli had two sons that were wicked. They didn't follow the Lord. And as a result, Samuel saw a number of things take place and Eli's sons end up getting killed. And then here comes Samuel. Samuel is operating as a priest within the the, the nation of Israel, or sorry, operating as a judge within the nation of Israel. And he's to lead the people in the direction they're supposed to go. And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel's getting older. And he comes to a point where it says this, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. Now, here's the thing I want you to highlight or underline, because this is the thing that we have to begin to understand and see. But his sons did not what? 
They did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old. How do you like that? Right? The whole nation shows up and they're like basically telling their leader, their judge at this point, this, this priestly figure, you're, dude, you're old. But as a result, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And I think that if, if you like to highlight or underline, not only do I highlight or underline, they did not walk in his ways, but then I get to this point where it says, now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Because what the nation of Israel is crying out is to be like everybody else. And the danger with that as a church and the danger with that as parents is that we oftentimes, we want our kids to be like everybody else. We want our family to look like everybody else. We think about all these things. We go, well, if it was just this way, then we want to be like the Joneses. We want to keep up with them. We want to have the same things they have. We want to do the same things they do. In verse six, it says, but when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now verse nine, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Here's one of the things as we jump into this idea of what it means to live with family priorities that we have to always keep in mind, right? Is that we all have goals, we all have desires, we all have dreams of what our kids would become. We all have this desire, I would say, to see our kids love and serve and follow the Lord. But at the same time, there is a point in time when our kids have to choose to make a decision on their own. And as they choose to make that decision, we have to live to a certain extent with what goes on. And so I want to give us this idea of putting all of our chips in, going all in in every way we can when it comes to investing in, discipling, loving, and leading our children. And when I talk about our children, I'm talking about everything from pre-birth to 18 years old. One of the reasons most churches end up floundering and dying is because they take their eyes off of what it means to serve and reach and lead the next generation. And the problem is, as a church, is when the church says the younger generation no longer matters, then when the older generation begins to lead out in everything and the younger generation doesn't matter, then the younger generation at some point says, well, we don't matter to you. And as a result of not mattering to you, you're not showing us the love of Jesus. And since you don't show us the love of Jesus, we're going to take our own direction. We're going to walk out and we're going to walk away. And here's what's crazy about what happens in Samuel's life. Samuel over and over and over ministers and serves and loves and leads the people of Israel. But at the same time, what's going on with his family? It's falling apart. And what I want us to see is this. Yes, 
We need to be strong, biblically obedient, loving, Jesus-pointing, Jesus-centered people who are gonna love our kids, but you cannot do it alone. You need the church. You need God's people walking right alongside you, strengthening, encouraging, equipping, and partnering with you to raise children who love and follow Jesus no matter the cost. You can't do it alone. Two are better than one. Jesus says it first, right? That a husband and wife, when they come together, that the two become one, and when they become one, that those two that become one are now stronger when they're united, right? A cord of three strands is not easily separated, and likewise, the bride of Christ and Jesus are married together, and you need the church. As parents, you need the church to come alongside you, to strengthen you and encourage you, to help you out as you grow and to walk alongside you with your kids, to point your kids in the same direction. And so one of the things I really wanna just focus on today is the effectiveness of the church because I believe the effectiveness of the church lies in the strength of the family. Make no doubt about it that the family is under attack, that Satan continues to work overtime that he tries to communicate to our kids and to people around the world that the family doesn't matter. If you're an old school family who eats dinner every night together, you guys are just weird. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I remember as a, as a youth pastor, having a, a, a kid who started coming to our youth ministry and became a believer through it. And, and we would have him over on Wednesday nights before church and he would eat with us. And the first time he ever ate with us, I don't even remember what we had. We had hot dogs or something like that or chicken. We had, we had baked chicken or something like that. And we sat down to eat and, and he didn't want to eat anything. Like he wanted to eat a bunch of junk. And I was like, why are you not eating? He's like, I'm not used to eating this. Like I eat like fried mozzarella sticks and that's my dinner. And then he got done after we got done eating and he pushed away from the table. He goes, don't take this wrong, but y'all are weird. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, do you guys eat like this every night? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you guys sit around the table and you guys pray and then you eat? And I was like, yeah. Isn't that what everybody does? And he goes, no. My mom fixes our meal and she yells when it's ready and then she takes her plate, she loads it up and she goes to her bedroom and I come in and get my plate and I load up and I go to my bedroom and my stepfather, he comes in, gets his plate and he goes to another place and we never eat together and we never talked. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was weird, <laughs> right? But what I hear consistently more and more is this mentality that plays out. And what we have to begin to understand is this, that family values and the makeup of the family have come under attack. We see it consistently all throughout culture. All you gotta do is watch TV. All you gotta do is watch movies over and over and over. They tell us that the family is irrelevant. And here is the crazy thing about it. If you read Genesis, God creates everything. But what is the first entity or the first thing he creates before the church? The family. Adam and Eve, together. Marriage and family were the thing that God created as a primary avenue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And so it's important for us to understand that the family is, is, is vital in the role of the church, that when a church begins to take its eyes off what it means to be family and what it means to invest in family, then we begin to miss out on everything that God has for the next generation as well as for our generation. 
Because as an older generation, my goal is to learn from everything that I have failed at and succeeded at and say, hey, here, let me point you in the right direction based upon what God's word says so that you can succeed and walk in obedience to the Lord. So we need a generation of people who say, I'll do whatever it takes to reach kids with the gospel. I remember going to a church back last year, (coughs) excuse me, up in the Northland, and there was a big banner up in the gym that said, whoever wants the next generation will get them. And my question to us as a church is this, do you want the next generation? Because you have to begin to ask and say, where is our priority at when it comes to reaching the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ? For so long, churches said, we're not gonna change, we're not gonna move. And please hear me out when I say this. We don't have to change everything under sun, especially doctrinal and biblical teaching. That's not what we're talking about. But it's learning to connect with and love on and listen to a younger generation who is going through a whirlwind that you and I have never faced because of the pressures of everything that's going on. We have more depression, more doubt, more discouragement, and more suicide than we've ever had in the history of the world in the teenage ranks and even younger because of what's going on. And so as we dig in today, I want you to remember this. Throughout scripture, God gives us examples of bad parenting to give the rest of us hope, right? Like I remember my dad after, not not too long after Ethan was born, I looked at him, I said, dad, I don't know, I'm ready to be a parent. And he turned and he looked at me and he goes, great on you because I was a terrible parent until I became a grandparent. And then I went, oh my gosh, I screwed everything up. (laughs) And I was like, wait, that's, that's not an encouragement thing at all, Dad. <laughs> and he goes, sit down, hold on, follow God, and that's the best I can give you because there's gonna be times you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I just screwed everything up in my child. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Strong families lead to strong churches. And listen, strong churches help grow stronger families. It's reciprocal. That if I want to be a strong family, then I need to know that church and a relationship within the body of Christ has to be primary. And likewise, listen, if I want to be a stronger family, then I have to realize that I need the church to walk alongside me. Strong families lead to strong churches. Strong husbands and fathers leading in the church and strong mothers serving within the church just like that are going to make the church a healthy, better place. And likewise, when we have that health taking place, even in the midst of our sin and our disappointments, when that health takes place, it leads to stronger churches who help grow stronger families. It's a reciprocating thing that we need each other to be stronger in the long run. And I've learned this as a youth pastor. I remember parents coming to me and go, hey, can you talk to my kid? And I'd be like, yeah, what are we talking about? They're like, well, we've been talking about these certain things. So we'd sit down and I'd talk with the kid and I would say everything. They would tell me what they're dealing with and I would say what I would say. Holy cow. Scared the daylights out of me, (laughs) right? So... 
I would say what I'd say, and then the parents would go, what'd you say to him? I'd be like, well, I said this. They're like, I said the same thing. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're the parent. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's the truth. You need other adults. And let me tell you this, your son or your daughter is going to be surrounded by peers and or other adults who speak into them. And you need strong, believing Christians in the lives of your kids and your teenagers to speak truth into them so that they can stand firm on God's word and make wise decisions as they move forward. So let's jump in as we, as we unpack that long introduction, but I wanna introduce these things. Here are three things that I believe that we have to look at based upon 1 Samuel 8 that we have to prioritize. Number one is this, we must prioritize our relationship with the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, we see this whole idea of what's playing out. And Samuel had prioritized his relationship with the Lord, but he forgot something else. In Joshua chapter 24, there's this point where Joshua comes and he says to the Israelite people, you have to choose today who you're going to serve. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And I have to prioritize my relationship with the Lord consistently that my kids know that my primary purpose is to be obedient to God no matter what the cost. Listen to Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. It says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. This idea of fear is not like this trembling, shaking, uncontrolled nervousness over the Lord, but it's a clear acknowledgement of his holiness and his presence and his leadership and his authority. The fear of the Lord, according to the Bible, is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we talk about this idea of putting the Lord first or prioritizing my relationship with the Lord, I'm going to ask you as a parent or even as a volunteer, if you're working in our church with the kids ministry and things like this, do you prioritize that relationship with the Lord? Because that's the main thing. You can't give what you don't have. You can't pour into somebody else when you don't have it here. I have to spend time daily in his word. And listen to me, I hear it over and over again, well, I just don't have time, I got this, I got, well, priorities. When I talk about prioritize, right, I have to identify priorities in my life. What is the first and foremost, most important thing that I should do? And I have to teach my kids, this is a priority. Listen, I coach baseball. I've, I've been in baseball since I was five. I've coached baseball here in Kansas City. I'll be honest with you, I am, I am I'm distraught by what I see. I see parents who are willing to sell their kids to somebody else, to train them how to become a baseball player, spending thousands upon thousands of dollars every year to become that baseball player who eventually goes off to college and hopefully would be someday a major league baseball player. And you know what the odds of that are? It's it's less than 1%. Less than 1%. I see parents who will lay everything down, even the church, even their relationship with Jesus, say, I'm gonna make a priority out of all of these things and my kids are gonna miss out on the greatest thing, the greatest investment that could be a part of their life. That's growing in their relationship with the Lord and knowing what it means to serve and love and follow in the church. And it's one of those things that we have to make a priority within our family. 
Fathers, mothers, when you get up on Sunday morning, don't give in to the, oh, I'm going to sleep in or we're just going to miss on this occasion. Make it a priority. Listen, listen to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you want to know why so many of us don't understand the next step and the next direction? is because we don't prioritize our relationship with the Lord. We don't operate with this understanding that knowledge of the Holy One is an understanding because he reveals everything we're supposed to do. Your, lamp, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snare of death. Think about that. A fountain of life in the midst of doubt and discouragement and depression and suicidal thoughts and being bombarded by all these things that Satan wants to bombard him with from the world outside, your word, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that I get to experience the life and life more abundantly that God promised as a result of my fear of the Lord. And listen, then the turning of a person from the snares of death. We've all made stupid decisions. And we look back and we go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And I am the biggest one of them. My wife will tell you over and over and over again. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, was, that was embarrassing, right? Like I may brag about it, but at the same time I go, man, you were a dummy. I can't believe you did these stupid things. But listen, the fear of the Lord leads me away from the snares of death. So make no mistake about it, the enemy has every attempt to attack the family. Listen, including our children, to lead them into paths of destruction and unrighteousness. And we are in a war for the hearts and minds of our children. We know, we know who is victorious in the war, but make no mistake about it, that every effort and every attack that Satan dishes out is another way to try and get our kids to turn away from the fear and knowledge of the Lord and to turn into the snares of death. And we as a church and we as families have to take a stand and say, we're not gonna put up with it. We're not going to give in to the temptation to walk away. When I say that whoever wants the next generation is gonna get them, then we have to understand as a church that we gotta do anything and everything to reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means, listen to me, and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna lay this out there just in an understanding. We need you to invest not only in your kids, but to invest in the lives of the kids in our church. Because listen to me, and I will lay this out just very simply. Do you want to know one of the hardest places to get workers? Well, church in general, yes. So, but I'm gonna, kids ministry. And let me tell you why. I think number one, there's this. I deal with my kids. I don't want to deal with anybody else's. <laughs> that's a, that's, I've been there. <laughs> I'm still there, right? But at the same time, listen to me. There is no greater blessing than as you grow in your relationship with Jesus to pour into somebody else's life. Our kids need adults who are going to love them in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their ADHD personalities, in the midst of their annoyances, in the midst of their weird 
facial features and, and doing crazy things, but who are going to stand by him and love him and lead him to Jesus. We have to prioritize our relationship with the Lord, but listen, we have to look and say, if my priority is my relationship with the Lord, then I need to pour that in to the life of others. So I have to prioritize my relationship with the Lord. Number two, we must pass it on to our children. That's what I was just talking about, okay? Samuel's sons were rejected as judges. It's important for us to understand what a judge was. You guys understand what the judges were? Like a lot of times we look and go, oh, they were like the kings, no? They were spiritual leaders at that time that led the people. A judge was a spiritual leader who was raised by God to meet a specific need in a time of crisis. Listen to me when I say this. We are at a time of crisis. In the United States and around the world, families are at a point in a time of crisis and we need people who are gonna stand on the truth of God's word and are gonna pass it on to our children. Listen, his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside and listen to what it says. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They turned aside and they accepted bribes and they perverted justice. Like, I don't know in my heart, but sometimes I kind of read that and I go, oh my gosh. Like there are leaders and pastors within the church, specifically some televangelists, not all of them, who have accepted bribes. They're selling people this idea that if you give, that the Lord will bless you. And that's exactly what his people were, his, his, his sons were doing. Samuel's sons took advantage of the position they were in, but they were dishonest. Instead of following the Lord and loving him obediently, it said they turned to dishonest gain. They did everything they could to get the next step up, to take advantage of other people. They accepted bribes. And then it says they perverted justice. I remember being in Romania. We go to this small town called Govra. And we're outside in Govra. Govra is kind of a small uh, rural town that, that, that you know, wasn't, it wasn't rich. But man, we're, we're, we're at this tennis court, which I, this was the craziest thing about. They had this private tennis club and soccer club that all the rich people would come out of Rimniku Volcha into Govra and they paid to have this tennis club, right? And so we rented the tennis club one day and we invited all the kids from Govra to come and we played soccer on their outdoor soccer field. And next door to that tennis club was this super fancy house like the nicest house I remember ever seeing in Romania. And I looked at the guy and I said, hey, whose house is that? And he goes, well, that's the Orthodox priest's house. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, well, yeah, because in Romania, when somebody dies, if you want them to go to heaven, you got to go to the Orthodox priest. And the Orthodox priest says, you got to pay me so much penance and then I'll pray him into heaven. Now this dude had a sweet house with an in-ground pool in the backyard. So I'm standing at the tennis place. Right off to the left is this house with an in-ground pool where the Orthodox priest is at. And across the street was the town pool, which was a lake that all the kids would go and swim at. And I think about this idea of accepting bribes and perverted justice. And what I see is that Samuel's children did not walk in the obedience to the Lord. And we can say whatever we want to say that Samuel spent a lot of time. But here, let me clarify from my standpoint. 
My number one ministry as a pastor is always to my family. But I have to prioritize and I have to make sure that I'm caring for my family while I also care for the flock. There's a balance there that has to take place. And there are times that I have to learn to say, hey, you know what? Matter of fact, I, I used this example not too long ago. I remember, I think Peyton was turning four or five right here when we, were, we, we had moved here, we lived here. It was Peyton's birthday and I get a call and somebody's in the hospital and they're about to die. And I'll never forget because it was literally, we blew out Peyton's, Peyton blew out her candles on her cake and I was out. I had to leave. And I have no problem with that because there are times where I have to choose to cheat my family to a certain extent, but there are times I have to choose to cheat the church. There are times where I have to allow my family to be the priority and there are times where I have to acknowledge that as a result of me being a pastor, I have to prioritize the church. And I have to learn this balance. And listen, here's what you and I always have to understand. We have to pour into our family. We have to invest in our family. We have to love on our family but I can't cheat the church. And likewise, I can't use the church to cheat my family. There's a balance there when we pass it on and we do it out of obedience to the Lord. Listen to Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. Train a child in the way they should go and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. See, while our spiritual growth is important and it's vital to pass it on to the next generations, one of the ways you grow the most is when you're teaching others. I said a couple weeks ago, if you're a person who comes and sits in church or sits in life group and you're never having an outflow, you become the Dead Sea. You kind of get stagnant, get a little salty. The only thing you're good for is floating in. There's no life in you. But listen, when I flow like the Sea of Galilee and I have an inlet and an outlet and there's some flow out that when I'm taking in fresh water, I'm taking in the word of life and I'm pouring out the word of life into others, there's life that takes place within that system. And as a result, I grow and I become more. You grow better and you know more and you love the Lord more, I guarantee you, as a result of you pouring into somebody else. It's a natural factor that takes place within scripture. And so when we talk about this idea of passing it on, I want you to know that one of the best ways you can do it is by investing in the lives of other people. See, no one has more potential to influence your child than you. And listen, when we come alongside parents and invest in them, the parents are more successful when the parents and the church work hand in hand together to grow and to love and to lead our kids to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Listen to Psalm 127, verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. <clears throat> the Lord is the one who builds the house. We are the ones who work it. And if we don't allow the Lord to build the house, then all we're doing is working and laboring in vain. So this goes back even to that momentum idea right at the start. Reggie Joyner wrote a book called Your Parenting Capacity. And he says this, a parent's influence is best realized in partnership with the church. One of the greatest things I could ever say is having adults who can invest in and love in the lives of my kids. Because they could come home and say, God, dad, this is what the Lord did in me and this is what he's doing. See, your child will seek affirmation and approval from peers and adults other than you. 
Now listen, once they hit 14, 15 years old, that 90% of what they listen to, and this is a struggle oftentimes for parents, is their, their peers, which is crazy. I think back as a teenager, thinking my dad was stupid. Oh my gosh, dad, you just don't get it. You're so old. And I joined the Navy and I got in the real world and I went, dang, my dad was wise. And I got to go back and go, dad, man, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. And those were the same words I said about him just six years earlier. And yet I realized in the long run that I was the idiot. See, whoever wants the next generation will get them. And number three is this. We must prepare them to lead in godly obedience. Here's one of the things I want you to see. Look at verse seven. It says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. See, here's what happens when we neglect the next generation. Here's what happens when we make everything else a priority. What ends up happening is not only do our kids not walk in the ways of the Lord, but what ends up happening is then people begin to look and go, we want something else. We want a king. So instead of having a spiritual leader like the judges were, they begin to cry out for this king. And what they want is somebody who's going to come in and wield a sword and a shield, who's going to lead them into battle on earth. But at the same time, they have a Lord who has won every battle that they have faced, who won the battle over sin and death and Jesus on the cross, who wields the sword of eternal life, who wields the sword of the word of his mouth, and who can defeat any and every enemy. We have to prepare our kids to lead in godly obedience. Otherwise, they're going to chase after and go after what everybody else wants. Because here's what the nation of Israel said. We want to be like every other nation. And I don't know about you, but that's the greatest fear in my heart is that my kids would say, dad, I want to be like other people. And I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to follow these ways. <clears throat> when we prepare them to lead in godly obedience, they begin to see the good and the bad or the difficult and the great blessings that come as a result of following Jesus. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon with one of the guys that I coached baseball with since we moved here. We met when our sons were seven. We coached baseball together till they were 13. And then things happened. Team got kind of split up, which was good. The Lord uses it. But on Friday, he called me and his 22-year-old son had passed away. Out of health reasons. Had ulcerative colitis, had struggled. He got a D1 scholarship, was playing at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. And yesterday I sat at the funeral home out at New Salem Royers to encourage him. And his son, Zane, 22 years old, great athlete. I remember, matter of fact, we were talking yesterday. I remember we were out here at Santa Fe Park. We were pitching to the kids. Zane shows up. He's six years older than our boys. So at the time, we got this pitching machine set up. Zane shows up. And John, the dad, this is, he's like, oh, I'm going to throw some to Zane. And I'm like, bro, you're crazy. Because at that time, I think he was 16, 17 years old. You're, gonna, you're a 50-feet pitching machine. He's going to hit you. Well, he did. <laughs> he busted John square in the eye. 
Like, I mean, they had to go to the hospital, bleeding and everything. I'm like, oh my gosh. And all the great memories they have of baseball and stuff like that. But do you want to know what stood out the most? Zane had gone off to Johnson County Community College and started being discipled by another baseball player. And as a result, man, he just got, I mean, he fell in love. He was already a believer, but really started to grow in his relationship with God, grow in his relationship with Jesus. He went off to Lipscomb and started being in Bible studies and stuff like that. And the thing that he loved the most was that. That he knew his parents loved him. He remembered the memories of the sports and he loved so many players and and friends and teammates he had influence on. But the most important thing to him was his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what we've got to influence our kids to understand what it means to follow the Lord day in and day out because otherwise they're gonna cry out just like the nation of Israel and say, we wanna be like everybody else when we know that everybody else is failing. We don't need what other families have. We don't want what other families have. We want Christian families. We don't want Christian families to look like the rest of the world. We're to be different. We're to be separate. We're to have Jesus as king. And so instead of having an almighty God to fight their battles, they wanted a king who was gonna come in and fight their battles. And what I want us to understand is this. I believe as a church that we have to do anything and everything to reach the next generation. Obviously, apart from, 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 from sacrificing the truth and the validity and changing or attempting to change God's word, we want to reach our kids and the next generation after that with the truth of the gospel. And we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to do that. Because the next generation needs godly leaders who are going to pour into them and teach them what it means to walk in godly obedience so they don't chase after another king. Father, we thank you. We thank you for number one, the priority that you place on the family, that it is first and foremost above everything else. But God, when the family and the church partner together, I believe it is an unstoppable force Because when strong families lead within the church, the church grows stronger. And as the church grows stronger, we are able to invest in and help stronger families grow as a result. And so Lord, I know that there are brokenness. There are broken, hurting families and individuals around us. God, may we be a church that says whatever it takes with the next generation, I'm willing to pour my life into them, to love on, to lead, to serve, to listen to, and to care for and pray for. God, break our hearts. Let us be a church that cries out and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.